Good morning, everyone. Junior church, four years old through fourth grade, are dismissed to walk. Come on up here and they'll lead you to where you're going. We have started a new sermon series titled Chaos to Christmas. And throughout this series, we're going to look at, their, um, look at different people who experienced the original Christmas event to see what chaos was in their life and if they were able to leave that chaos and enter into peace and enter into a calm of Christmas. With all the chaos that's going on around us, sometimes really what we want is calm. And especially this year, this December, we want something calming, something peaceful. Last week we looked at the wise men, how they're constantly going between chaos and calm. And ultimately they found that true calm by coming to worship the one true king, to worship Jesus. Today we're going to look at the forgotten person of Christmas, person who's very integral to this whole event, King Herod. Now, most of the time we don't look at him, and usually for good reason we want to forget him. He's the bad guy. He's the Grinch. He's the the Mister Potter of Christmas. Uh, when we try to think of poinsettias, trees, tw- twinkling lights, presents, and the joy of the season, King Herod is the exact opposite. I want to ask you a question. How many of you remember this photo, who these people are? Anybody remember? Kerrigan and Tanya Harding. That's right. Many people remember that. Um, If it wasn't for the event that happened in January 6, 1994, most of you would not remember their names at all. For those, because there's a few of you going... I don't know what this is. It was before I was born. Um, For those who don't remember, let me briefly remind you or tell you, these two ladies were both figure skaters, both competing for a spot on the 94 Olympics team. On January 6th of that year, Kerrigan was attacked. That's the brunette. Um, She was attacked, hit on the leg with a club. Um, It was an attempt to knock her out of the competition. An investigation led to the arrest of... Tanya Harding, the blonde one there. Now, she pled guilty to obstructing the investigation, but has maintained she had nothing to do with the attack. Now, this goes against other statements of the alleged conspirators. But here's the point. Regardless, regardless if Harding had to do with it specifically or she just helped support it, Um, Her ex-husband or her bodyguard saw that Nancy Kerrigan as competition and they sought to eliminate that competition. They didn't just seek an unfair advantage. They seek to get rid of her, getting her out of the competition completely, very violently. And that event is very similar to King Herod. We're going to look at what King Herod is like. Uh, We're going to be in chapter 2 of Matthew, if you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles or digital versions. As we're turning, let me give you a background of information of King Herod. He was born around 70 B.C. He lived until 3 or so B.C. um, A.D., sorry. The dating of the death is very certain. Um, Herod saw his father poisoned. Herod saw his own father poisoned. For his role in the plot to kill Julius Caesar. 
Okay, so this is the family. He was uh, subject, subjected to a roller coaster ride of being in power and losing it off and on. In 37 BC, he was given the title King of the Jews. He was placed in charge of Judea. Now, with his background of seeing his father um, poisoned and the seemingly revolts against Rome caused him to be very extra protective about his personal throne. The slightest indication of a revolt or unrest was met with very swift retribution, even to his relatives. He had his own sons executed when he suspected them, not proved, suspected that they were going to plot against him. Caesar Augustus said this about King Herod, I'd rather be Herod's sow, his pig, than be his son. That's how the rest of the world saw King Herod. He was not a good guy. Now with that thinking, let's read Matthew 2 verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men came from eastern lands, arrived in Jerusalem, asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? Remember what's Herod called? Where's this newborn king of the Jews? We saw a star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is this Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people. Then Herod called for a private meeting with these wise men. And he learned from them the time when the, the star first appeared. And then he told them, go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go worship him too. Okay, we're going to stop right there for a moment. We talked about the wise men last week, uh, but let's look at this through this chaotic mind of King Herod. He didn't hesitate to kill, to keep control. He didn't hesitate to even kill his own sons to maintain power. Now here comes these wise men. Wise men. Some people have called them the, the magi or the three kings. Now, first off, I, I should have said this last time, we call them kings because of the song, right? We three kings. That, that's, that's not true, okay? They're not kings. We don't know if they're from the Orient. Um, that just rhymed really well. That's why they said that. This is very important, though, to understand King Herod's point of view. These wise men, their usual role during the peri this period of time was they served as advisors to the kings, similar to like the president and his cabinet. And these wise men are, are here at Herod's door asking for this new king of the Jews. And we can easily conclude that this caused Herod to stand up and then take notice. Herod had, at this point, an opportunity that every one of us has. We all come to Christmas, we all come to December with this opportunity to step into the Christ story, or we can step into being opposed to it. And what do you think King Herod did? King Herod was in charge, not because of his might, but because God has orchestrated it. 
Romans 13.1, everyone must submit to the governing authorities for all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority, including this evil King Herod, have been placed there by God. Herod was in that place at that time on purpose. He had a chance to be remembered as the king in history who came to worship the real king. He had the opportunity to be, I am the king of the Jews now, but I am bowing before the king of all humanity. But he didn't do that. Instead, Herod chose the chaos of power. That's really what he chose. He didn't go to see this baby who was born king. And throughout the rest of the events, look how Herod chooses to try and keep power. To control power. And as he reaches for this power that he's trying to hold on to, his life is filled with more and more chaos. When it comes to your life, when it comes to our lives, Do we allow the calm of God's positioning in our life? Or do we seek to have control and power? Do we try to align everything so that we can have everything right, so that we can feel at ease because I've got it managed, I've got it controlled, I have it in order? Or do we sit there and say, God, He is the one who places all things, and I submit I will come and worship under Him. So these wise men arrive and they ask, where is this new king, the one who was born king? And look what it says in verse 3. This is really key here. King Herod was deeply disturbed, but don't miss the rest of that verse. When he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. King Herod hears this news. There is a brand new baby in town and he is the Messiah. When I hear of a baby, I'm excited. I, I, I just tell you that I, I love, love little kids. They are just so fun. Uh, my wife and I fight to see who can hold babies the quickest and the soonest. And uh, usually if you're, if you're a member here, I will revoke your membership to the church unless you allow me to hold your baby. Okay? It's manipulation. I know. But we love holding babies. We just, they are precious. And we, a baby, no matter the circumstances of how the baby was conceived, the baby is always a gift. Baby is always. And here King Herod should have been excited. There's a baby being born. Instead he was disturbed. But not only was he disturbed, but so was everyone in Jerusalem. Why would the whole town be disturbed? Because King Herod's disturbed. Because if the king ain't happy, he takes it out on everybody else. There were times that he was good to the Jews until something threatened his role. Then he would come down harsh. The whole region knew that this news is going to upset King Herod and that's going to affect me. That's what they were thinking. They knew when Herod was upset, people around him paid the price. Now how does this affect you this December? Isn't there a lot of chaos in the powers of government today? Have we, we have the political area, and for whichever side you're vying for, they are going for power. They are trying to control and get it ready. People are trying to get power over others in their jobs. 
Some are trying to get power over others in sports, in hobbies. They're always trying to one-up someone else. They're trying to show they have the bigger, better, whatever it is. There are people who are trying to have more power in their drama. Well, let's be honest. There, there are. You think that's bad. I have to deal with blah, 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 blah. See, I have more drama. I have more problems. You should look at me. They're trying to have more power than that. Why would we ever think that power over other people is good? Why, why would we ever think that? When in history has power over someone else been a good thing? Matthew 23, 11 said this, The greatest among you must be a servant. The greatest, the most powerful among you will submit, not wield that power. The chaos of power, let me, let me really say this, always leads to pain. The power, uh, the chaos of power always leads to emptiness. And if you don't believe that, just look at Herod's life. His household was growing empty. He was killing his sons. Uh, there was pain everywhere. They were all disturbed just because of this news. One thing I want us to notice is how Herod sends these wise men to find Jesus for him. We read verse 3 that Herod, uh, Herod is troubled by their news. Quite literally, it causes him inward commotion. It takes the calmness of his mind away. And this makes me ask the question, if Herod was so worried, if he was so worried... Why didn't he try to find Jesus personally? If you want something done right, do it yourself, right? Why didn't Herod do this? Why didn't he leave his house and go to Bethlehem himself? Well, the answer is kind of simple. We don't expect the president to go find individuals on his own. He sends his own ambassadors, right? He sends dignities, dignitaries. He sends um, soldiers, whatever it is. Why didn't Herod do the same? Why didn't he send his own ambassadors? Why didn't he send his own servants or soldiers? Why didn't he do this? He would have certainly found someone in Bethlehem. He was the king of it. His own wise men said, knew right away, and, and notice King Herod says, where is the Messiah to be born? He already correlated the two things. This new king is the Messiah. Where is he supposed to be born? Bethlehem. All right, so why didn't he send people to there to go get it? Why didn't he act on his own and have his own people go? They would have been successful. They would have been able to find out where this baby was. He would have found Jesus on his own. I think there's two reasons why Herod sends these wise men on this quest. One, I think he's hoping they're wrong. You know, if he steps out and he says, well, I'm going to go find it and it's a futile mission, then he looks like a chump. He believed in this stuff and maybe he's secretly hoping this, this is all going to blow over and it's just going to be a rumor and I still have my throne. Had this turned out to be the case, he could have saved himself the embarrassment of looking for someone who didn't exist. This way he wouldn't look like the terrified ruler that he actually was. He could deny knowledge. Oh yes, I, I knew it was all false. That's why I didn't go into that. I think that was one. But secondly, this one, tell me if you think this one sounds good. Herod wouldn't have to worry about getting involved in the church, search. He wouldn't have to get his hands dirty. To figure it out. 
When the child was found, all he'd have to do is go to this address. You do it. And um, then when, hey, what happened to this baby? It must have been those wise men. He could pass the buck. He could pass the blame. Hostile negotiators are trained to empathize with human qualities to the individuals who are holding the hostages. They're trained to talk about that person's family, the family members of the hostages. Uh, They talk about wives, husbands, and jobs. Uh, Their hope is to get this person to quit looking at the hostages as shields or bargaining chips, but to look at them as humans. Herod had absolutely no problem with killing, but even for a madman, it was easier if you weren't personally involved when you can use someone else to get rid of the competition for your throne. And what I think we really see here is Herod was in the midst of the chaos of manipulation. He was trying to manipulate this whole area. He was trying to manipulate the wise men to doing part of his bidding so he could manipulate the situation so he could stay in control. And you know what? I think we do the same thing. We are each on our throne in our hearts and our minds. And we hear of another who wants to take his place on our own throne. And we begin hoping that maybe this isn't true. Maybe it's not real. Maybe I don't have to give up. Maybe I don't have to submit. But maybe, maybe I'll have somebody else go look. They can go ask those questions. You know, is God really true? Is the Bible accurate? Is there only one way to salvation? And then when they bring back that information, I can try to pick holes in their answers. That way, I didn't exhaust myself. There are those who refuse to make an honest search of their own, to make an independent study of scriptures and make a decision. But that's kind of on the outside. I, I want to ask you a question. How many of you do you ever use manipulation? The reason so many of us do this, because I know a lot, well, I don't do that. Yeah, yeah, we do. We all do this. If we really search ourselves, we're going to see how we do this. And a lot of times it's because we don't want to share that control, that power that Jesus wants to have in our hearts. He wants to control and lead us, and we want to do it our own way. If we would just search the truth, search through scriptures, we'll see this baby, this child, for who he truly is, the creator, the savior, even as King Herod said, where is the Messiah? Many people don't seek Jesus because they're afraid that they will find and what that'll do, and they're afraid of what others will think if they allow that to happen. So they let someone else look and, all, and do that. But how many of us also use manipulation to control and guide the people around us? We use different phrases to cause them to do what we want or to stop doing something else. Manipulation. Manipulation always leads to more chaos. Through manipulation, they bend arguments, they shift the truth to align with our own personal worldview, and manipulation always leads to more chaos. The wise men were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, so they go home a different way, and look what happens, Matthew 2, verse 16. Herod was furious when he realized the wise men had outwitted him. 
He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. His knee-jerk reaction when he found out he was outwitted is kill them all. What a great guy, right? Merry Christmas. He doesn't send people off to go find the right baby. In his paranoia, he decrees all baby boys two years old and under must be put to death. As a parent, I can just barely imagine the heartbreak in Bethlehem and the surrounding communities, it said, that night in Bethlehem. There is no real good estimate as to how many children we're talking about. Herod wanted to make absolutely sure this child, this Messiah, remember he called him that, this king who was born king, wanted to make sure this child was dead, that he was no competition for the throne. Herod did not intend to be replaced. And what we see here is the ultimate part of what Herod lived in, and it was the chaos of the worship of himself. The worship of self. Herod thought only of himself. He worked to make sure he was the object of envy. He was so selfish that he did whatever he could do to make himself the central focal point of every conversation, of every event. He only ever thought of himself. As he was nearing his death, I found this out. The chaos of selfishness, the chaos of worshiping himself, clouded his mind so much, he was worried that when he died, not enough people would mourn him. There wouldn't be enough mourning, grief, grieving happening in the city. So what did he do? He had very prominent men imprisoned. That way when he died, there was an order that all of them would die just to have more people grieving when he died. That's how worshiping of himself King Herod was. The chaos of self-worship invades our lives. Do you realize that self-worship invades all of us? How does this path, this path affect your faith and our faith? So many times we're trying to get people to notice us, right? I want people to compliment or to say something, to give us attention, to give those compliments. We want the spotlight. Many of you will say, well, this doesn't apply to me. You'll say that. But what do our actions actually show? I do it. I love being the center of attention. I really do. I mean, you're all looking at me. I like it. Okay? It's nice. The sinful nature is very selfish, though. And we need to not fall in this um, chaos of self-worship. How much of Christmas is filled with the twisted, filled and twisted with the chaos of worshiping of self? Some people try to give gifts to someone hoping it's the best gift and they'll say, oh, look what this person gave. Oh my goodness, you shouldn't have done this. And the whole time they're trying to get accolades for what they spent on the gift. Hoping, um, and when we allow selfishness, this self-worship to invade our lives, chaos always follows. Self-worship invades our social media accounts. People are doing anything and everything they can to present themselves as the most beautiful, the most athletic, the most whatever. And our culture has embraced self-worship. It embraces so much that it endorses 
false identities. Oh, you don't think you are good this way? Come up with a new identity and it's worship that and that'll be great. Lifting up feelings over facts. Worshiping of self has led to millions of murders to be done in the name of choice. Abortion is an ex- uh, abortion is accepted because the person values themselves over others. They value their feelings, their own lifestyles, so they get rid of someone else. People are worshiping, worshiping themselves when they take hormone therapy to change their genders. They're worshiping themselves when they spend countless amounts of money on their physical appearances, um, having nice clothes. Now hear me on this. Having nice clothes, nice hairstyles, and cosmetic jewelry is not a sin. It is not wrong to go to a beautician and have them do your hair. It is not wrong to have nice clothes and, and jewelry. It's not wrong to do that. But when we're obsessed with feeling that I've got to have the latest trends, I've got to have this, I have to look this way in order for people to accept me, we are now worshiping ourselves. Herod was scared to think that he was going to lose his throne, that this newborn king would usurp him. And can I let you in on a little secret? As I was reading through this and as I was reading through the rest of Scripture, Jesus wasn't interested in King Herod's kingdom. He wasn't interested in becoming the king of Judea. He would have let King Herod handle that. He could have cared less of taking Judea from Herod. Because Jesus already knew King Herod's kingdom already belonged to him. Whether Herod was aware of it or not, Jesus wasn't going to take it from him. But here's the other secret that we need to know. Jesus is interested in your throne. He is very interested in your throne. He's interested in being over your kingdom and ruling instead of letting you. But he will not take it by force. When we look at this chaotic life of King Herod, we see all the chaos that he had. He was someone who was afraid of competition, who did whatever he did to keep others from succeeding. King Herod failed. He failed in a fit of pain and misery. Josephus, a non-Christian writer, says that this... um, King Herod had a loathsome disease descend upon this ruler as a judgment from God on account of his sins. And then he described this disease. These are not my words, but I want to share it with you because it's very festive. He describes the horrible details of this disease with a burning fever, ulcerated entrails, foul discharges, convulsions, stench, and more. Do you see what happens when we focus on ourselves? The chaos of worshiping ourselves causes self-decay. It causes us to die. The chaos of self-worship always leads to death. Herod didn't have to follow this chaos of worship of self. He didn't have to follow the chaos of manipulation. He didn't have to participate in this chaos of power. He chose to. Last year, um, we had an event that we called the Celebration of Hope. A night where we acknowledged the sin of abortion and the innocence of lives that were lost, yet the focus was on God forgives those people. 
He can come in and redeem, restore, and rescue these ladies, these families. God still forgives and is still bringing that same restoration and healing. We have seen it in some of our own people here. People have turned to Jesus and let Him heal their wounds, forgive their past. These people have allowed Jesus to rule in their hearts and their minds and their actions, and they have found restoration from a broken, sinful past. They have found that. Instead of staying on this path of pain, rejection, guilt, they came to the Messiah. Last week we saw um, that ultimately the wise men experienced the calm of true worship. Everything they went through was worth it to come to the worship of God, to come into the presence of Jesus. Their calm that they experienced could have been part of King Herod's life. If he would have let go of worshiping himself. It was an invitation These ambassadors come, hey, we have found this star. We know it's the king. And really, would you want to come and see him with us? Herod's life was full of chaos. And honestly, right now, look at our schedules. Look at our lives. Look at our culture and our country. Is it not full of chaos? Do we not see a lot of self-worship all over? And if it leads to death biblically, it's going to lead to death physically here. We have an opportunity to choose. Two paths were before Herod. One that led to Jesus, and one that led to his own death. One that would have led him to joy, peace, and love. The other one led him to heartache, despair, loneliness, and then all those physical problems from that disease. Today we are given an opportunity. We can choose to come to Christmas full of chaos, or we can choose to come to Christ, the child. Which, which will you choose? Will you try to self-worship and make yourself look great this Christmas season? Or will you let it all go and follow the path that leads to Jesus? Forget what everybody else may be thinking. Forget all that other stuff and only come to Jesus. We get to choose either to seek Jesus as king of our lives or we get to see him as competition for our hearts. I don't want to compete against Jesus. Every time I've done it, I've failed, I lose. I'd rather be on the winning side and have him say, here, here is the crown. Here is the victory. Here is your home. We're all full of chaos. We're all tempted with this self-worship. Why not let go of that chaos and come to the king who deserves it? We're going to come to a time of invitation and and more worship. And again, I'm going to just invite you, if you need someone to help pray with you over any of these things, we'll meet you over here in the cafe. We will go to the real Messiah, the King. We'll go together on level ground and talk to our Creator. If you need a decision, won't you come as we sing? Or even after the service, come and talk to us. Let's stand and let's go before the Messiah.